0: Guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me.
1: I like building something that has legacy. Support for Dubai Works is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched in the UAE with their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with their exclusive offer for you. 20% off with the code DubaiWorks at manscaped.com.
0: So you'll know on this podcast that we've got guests on lately who seem to be doing really well, raising a lot of money, and the startup ecosystem in Dubai and the region is just on fire. Uh, This interview is with one of those. They've just closed a series B with $16 million and they're in the HR space, HR and payroll. Uh, It's a really good conversation with the founder. Uh, I'll hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. On today's episode, we're joined by Talal Bayat, the co founder and CEO of Bezat, uh, the UAE's leading HR and payroll software that's tailored to providing a better experience to companies. They do automation and enhancing the administration process. Bezat actually has reached over a thousand uh, fast growing businesses in the UAE who have between them 60,000 customers, employees, I should say. Welcome, Talal. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, so thanks for coming. Uh, I know of Bezat. I haven't used it personally, but can you tell me? uh, Can you elaborate on that? What is the business and what's your offering?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, Bezad really focused on empowering SMEs, and everything we do is really focused on our mission, which is to make a world class employee experience accessible to every company. And what that means for our customers is, regardless of their size, regardless of their budget, on things like employee benefits, on HR automation we can help them give their employees an amazing experience. Um, the way we do that's really twofold. So one is we help companies automate HR administrative work. So things around health insurance, payroll management, leave management, et cetera, so that the people function can spend less time on admin work, more time on people. And then the second way we do that is we deliver amazing experiences directly to the employees through technology.
0: OK, amazing. So it's a software, it's software as a service. So. Traditionally, companies might have HR uh, people and departments. Are you looking, is is that the department that you're looking to enable and and empower?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we really deal with HR, but also sort of what we call the ultimate decision makers in the organization, which is typically managing director, founder, CEO. Um, because at the end of the day, we're not only becoming a system of record for this company, but we're also becoming a system of employee engagement. Yeah, And obviously, employee engagement is at the top of every CEO's mind, especially these days.
0: How did the, the company come about?
1: Um, we started doing something very different back in 2014, which was we were actually a consumer fintech play. Um, the first version of that was a price comparison website. And... We did that for about two years and then started pivoting towards this model. Um, and you know, the first reason we decided to pivot was we weren't that excited about the strategy, some of the metrics we were seeing as, as a price comparison website. Um, but then the second part was we saw the landscape for employers changing pretty rapidly in, in the UAE and the wider region. Um, and you know, our belief is all the governments of the GCC have to plan for the post-oil era. Of course, they know that. And for them, SMEs are going to be a key driver of economic growth. And you could see that through all the initiatives they're doing. Definitely. And that means that SMEs need to become more attractive employers, right? They need to be able to provide the benefits, the experience of you know large multinationals. And once we kind of build conviction around this, this transformation. Um, we decided to go, you know, full blown steam ahead to capitalize on it.
0: Yeah, so uh, that's really interesting. So we don't often hear on the podcast of pivots like that, uh, specific kind of direct ones like that. But you hear of it a lot in other startup stories. So that's uh, really interesting. Thanks for sharing. Um, and then to tie it into a kind of a wider trend. Uh, what does Bezat stand for? Mean? Yeah, so
1: group? Bezat. Um, is a term used by Emiratis primarily to mean sort of money change um, and you know we were sort of price comparison website yeah. in the early days and but you've got the
0: payroll in there so it's still exactly. money. Exactly, <laughs> we help you save money of course. Exactly, uh, amazing. And can you tell us a bit about you, were you uh, an entrepreneur, that's seven years ago so I assume that you didn't have a long career, you don't look that old. Yeah. Before that, did you so did you jump into the entrepreneurship and were your co-founders in that space as
1: well? Yeah. So um, to answer your question, I'm 34 years old, um, and originally Palestinian, born in, in California, but been in the GCC since 1992. Okay. Um, most of that in the UAE. So I've seen you know the entire transformation of the country, um, and I went back to university in the US. Graduated in 2008. Um, right in sort of the beginnings of the global recession. And I remember I went to the career fair at the time and there was literally like two companies there. Um, So I didn't really get the opportunity of of the standard path of going to work for sort of a Fortune 500 company, um, which turned out for the best because I came back to Dubai. I did investment banking, private equity for, for three and a half, four years, all in very small companies, boutique firms. Um, and then started to decide, uh, decided to start Bezat with my co-founder. Um, and we started working in, on the idea in 2013. And my co-founder also did not have startup experience. Um, to be honest, back then startup wasn't really a thing, right? Mm. So there wasn't really a lot of VCs, angel networks, anything like that back in, in 2013.
0: And since there weren't, how did you find those initial years? Were you able to get people to believe
1: in what you were doing? Were you able to get funding? Was it hard? Funding is always hard, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of uh, pitching, of course. And I would say in, in the early days, it was not it, w- it was difficult, but it was also a bit less stressful because there wasn't this sort of standard of raising these huge rounds, right? And you're kind of able to scale a bit more organically and, and slowly and take your time trying to find product market to fit. Whereas today, everything is sort of on an accelerated timeline. Um, But in terms of raising an angel seed round, yeah, it was very challenging because you're reaching out to just, you know, hundreds of individuals across the globe. And most of them, that was their sort of first foray into the VC space and and tech startups.
0: Yeah. Uh, And so did you raise money on the original concept or did you, and then how did you manage both your, all your stakeholders in, in the pivot and the transition?
1: So, we raised money on the initial concept that was actually just a small amount, around $350,000. I would say half was family and friends, half was individuals we had never met before. Um, And we actually didn't raise any institutional capital till later, right? Because actually, there was probably one VC around at the time. Um, And when we raised that institutional capital, we were already having discussions about this this, uh, opportunity we see in moving towards a B2B model in the SME space. So they were kind of already aware of that. Um, in terms of the angel investors, look, I think most investors, especially in the early stages, when you just have a concept, assume that you will pivot. because mm. That's you know, 99% of companies do end up pivoting. And for the most part, they're investing in you as a team, not necessarily the
0: concept. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, and how has the journey been then? You know, uh, I think the job market is is really, Uh, dynamic or difficult and dynamic and you know as you said there's a lot of need for skills and there's a lot of need for employment but what was it like producing building a SaaS product for a B2B uh, you know to get the product market fit how did you know when you had something that worked and then uh, what was it like getting in front of the first customer
1: yeah I guess when it comes to product market fit the reality is At any point in time, you have product market fit on just a segment of your customers, right? And you're always trying to expand sort of your ideal customer profile, your addressable market. Um, So I think it's a very sort of transient thing when you talk about product market fit. If you're investing in product engineering, you technically should never have product market fit, right? It's only on a subset of customers. Um, And for us, I guess we're kind of... Trailblazers when it came to SaaS startups in the region till today there's actually not that money yeah um, but we're kind of seeing that wave happening now which is very natural right typically you get sort of the consumer plays and then you start getting the SaaS plays a bit later and the reality is when we looked at the market we surveyed around five thousand companies what we found is that for companies between twenty to two hundred fifty employees seventy five percent don't use any technology when it comes to HR departments and and managing their people. So they're Mm. operating on Excel, um, which is not an easy thing to get people to to switch from and to achieve product market fit, I'd say on our first subset of customers, you know, was probably a 12 month process, right? Mm. Because B2B is different than consumer in terms of, the company is trusting you to run all their hr processes on you and they're training every single employee in the organization to use it mm. so the bar they've set in terms of when they would be willing to transition is pretty high mm. right you really have to exceed their manual processes um, and of course their that's their habit as well um, so i think you know getting in front of the first few customers we were lucky to find some that really uh, believed in the power of having a very localized solution and yeah. a very employee centric solution, right? So for some context, you know, employees last month used our technology over 400,000 times. right? So we really built something that improves the employee experience wow. and for them, they just constantly gave us feedback, you know, till today um, on our product, we have uh, a feature request board where, you know, hundreds of customers go every month, Request new features, upvote on features, nice. ask questions, things like that. So yeah. we have a very engaged customer base.
0: Amazing. So your full offering. So uh, an SME company. You mentioned payroll. You mentioned leave approvals and things like that. So there's an app. Uh, like how does it work? You know, and how how's the onboarding process? You you mentioned that it, people do do this on Slack. So I think some are on um, Excel and things like that. But some people, some companies. Don't even have behavior types that require software. Never mind previous not uh, not purpose-built software. You know, some people might WhatsApp their boss and say, "Hey, I'm taking today off," and that type of thing. So, so what is based in terms of uh, the full offering for an organization and how how across the company, across departments, does it go? Uh, you know, does the finance department need to stop using their finance software and things like that?
1: Yeah, So it's really a two-step value proposition. And we always think about two stakeholders, the employer, which could be, you know, HR, line managers, finance, and then the employee. So on the employer side, um, you know, they can do everything from managing expense reimbursements, integrating with their biometric system. If they have shift workers, they're able to automate the entire process. Um, and they can even you know, enroll in health insurance plans, administer the plan, which means you know, adding removing employees, billing, etc., compare different uh, offers in the market, and they can even process payroll through the platform. We're actually the only payroll solution that's integrated into the financial transaction step. Right? Mm. On the employee side, they can open up the app, which is how most employees engage with Bayzat, and of course do all the HR administrative processes, um, but on top of that, we have things like a news feed, right, that has, you know, both um, user-generated content, but also automated f- content from Bezat. It looks like an Instagram feed, um, so it creates a lot of engagement, you know, a beautiful people directory where people can, you know, can learn about their colleagues and, and their interests. Um, and then we have a lot of health benefits as well, right? So it, it ranges from if today as an employee, you wake up, you request a sick leave. As soon as you do that, it's linked to your health insurance plan. So you'll get a pop-up saying, hey, do you want to book a doctor in your network, which you can do through the app? Um, Do you want to talk to a doctor right now? Which again, you can do through the app. Or do you just need prescriptions? And we can open up an online pharmacy for you on the app. You can get a prescription from a doctor and get it delivered to your home. So it's highly localized and really built around a unique value proposition for Mm. the end user. Mm.
0: Okay. so just a few quicker questions uh, before we move into industry discussion. Uh, how many people work for Bezat now, and what's your latest
1: round of funding? So our latest round of funding was the Series B round, which was you know just over $16 million. And currently, we're approximately 170 employees, 70% in the UAE. And then we also have an office in Turkey and an office in India.
0: And what do the offices in Turkey and India do?
1: Um, Turkey is where the majority of our engineers sit. And then India is sort of a jack of all trades. You know, um, any department across marketing, customer success, operations, product mm. that needs support, especially that needs young, fresh graduates mm. and, and young talent, we're able to hire pretty quickly in India.
0: Well, well done. That's a good success story from a, a pivot as well. So it's it, it's fascinating. It's great to see, as you said, in the B2B space. We see some software. I think we use Monday.com, which is from Israel and, and things like that. But we, as you mentioned, we don't have them from this region. We don't have them from the Arab world per se. Uh, why is that? And why why are we almost the same with social networks? Why are we always jumping onto American software? Uh, and why does SAS seem to have a better opportunity to travel? You know, why is Slack and all these email tools and things that, why, why is it easy for them to localize? Um, and yeah, and, you know, do you think that uh, companies like Bayzat, do you think that we'll be using more and more SaaS products from the region?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, SaaS companies have received relatively less funding than sort of marketplaces, um, um, D2C companies and things like that, which again, is very natural as an ecosystem is evolving. Um, and I definitely do think we'll continue to see more and more SaaS solutions coming out of the market. Um, And look, really, there's two types of SaaS solutions, right? Ones are like Slack, where it doesn't matter what country you're in, you can use it off the shelf. Um, But then you have solutions that have to be highly localized, right? Which is Bezat is one example of that. When you think about uh, health insurance, payroll, HR administration benefits, rewards programs for your employees that they can actually use in the country, it has a very highly localized context, right? And you see that in other SaaS companies. So there's um, a company in, in Saudi called Uniphonic. Again, raised yeah. the big round and again, very localized solution for this region. Um, you have foodix which is pos for restaurants again they're able to build a competitive edge by making it hyper localized mm. so from that perspective i definitely think you'll continue to see you know more startups in the saas space
0: okay that's a good lens that's a good view, way of looking at it but we you know even for the ones that are localized because the funding rounds are bigger in other markets and when they decide to enter here maybe in the payment gateway or things like that they tend to do well like do you think what's your view on regulation do you think that it you know companies in this region should maybe be incentivized or encouraged to support the SaaS products from the region or is there any things that if you had a wish list that you would go hey it would be great if we kind of you know worked with tech startups in the region more than just picking the silicon valley one
1: yeah i mean it's an interesting topic you know because we've obviously spoken to a lot of the governmental organizations. And I do think that, especially when we look at sort of government-related entities and and government institutions, um, they and some of them have started doing this, is they need to rethink some of their procurement processes because that automatically excludes a lot of the younger SaaS companies. A lot of times, you know, the HR or whoever the champion is in, in that organization, wants to move to a solution, but they're blocked by something as simple as the procurement requirements right? mm. and the tendering process. So I think from that perspective, we do hope to see some changes happening in, in the region.
0: Yeah, well, that's fascinating. But I think that from that point of view, even SaaS companies in the US face that challenge as well. And then, you know, they have enterprise solutions and they work really closely, they almost lobby to get the big deals like, you know, Slack working with Microsoft, et cetera, and things like that. Is that something that, you know, you need to invest in as well to work with the, not just SMEs, but the the semi-state and the big corporates?
1: We, you know, we're obviously, you know, getting out in front of, in front of them and telling them our story and many of them are quite supportive. Um, but look, honestly, I think at the end of the day, you just need to build the best product, you need to have mm. the best product market fit. Mm. And where we believe we have a competitive edge is GCC or Middle East um, and North Africa is a pretty fragmented region. It's a big population as a whole, but quite fragmented, smaller, many small markets. Mm. And, you know, if you're Oracle or SAP, um, sure, you may decide to take a hyper-localized approach and any one of these markets, but you're stretched pretty thin and your focus is always going to be on the biggest markets. Mm. Um, not to say these are small markets. We believe they're quite big, but obviously it's all relative. And you know, from that perspective, we are able to move faster and building more localized solutions. Um, and I think at the end of the day, that's what's going to bring success.
0: I assume that you
1: can, for Arabic, the platform has Arabic as well. So we just launched in Saudi this week and we're going live in Saudi with the Arabic version as well. Good timing Um, for
0: National Day today in Saudi as well. (laughs) Exactly.
1: So we got up our our LinkedIn post today uh, for the first time, congratulating Saudi on National Day. So it's it's pretty exciting times for us.
0: Definitely. And will you have a team on the ground over there as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Okay. Again, um, what really resonates with SMEs and with companies is them feeling like you're homegrown. Yeah. Um, You know, that's... Part of the reason why cream was so successful in, in Saudi, Definitely. right? People really viewed it as a Saudi brand in Saudi, as a UAE brand in the UAE, um, and that's something we have to execute on as well.
0: So, if if we were, if a company was doing a notice of software available for the HR and payroll, uh, are there some big companies who offer this as an add-on? Uh, some big cloud-based companies, and are, are there uh, well-backed sort of unicorn-type companies in the US? doing something similar?
1: So if someone was to do an audit, you know, typically again in our customer profile, SAP, Oracle, Microsoft are out of the question, right? Just very expensive to implement, um, very long cycle to onboard and to continue evolving the platform. So most of them would never even consider those solutions. Yeah. And then they have the option to look at um, international sort of HR software players like Zoho, Bamboo HR, Pretty low cost, but again, not very localized. The payroll doesn't integrate with the payroll processing company. Doesn't help you manage your health insurance, things like that. Um, and then you have, I think, a few startups in the region who are just doing HR software, um, but none of them have raised, I believe, past the seed round. So again, back to the investment aspect, they haven't received the funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to SaaS, you know, if you want to be in in sort of hyperscale mode. The typical benchmark is 60-70% of your revenue should be on sales and marketing spend.
0: Okay. I can I explain that? So, uh, your revenue that you're bringing in, you should be spending, that should be your budget.
1: So, exactly. So, if you want to get to $10 million of revenue, the reality is you probably have to spend $7 million on sales and marketing, right. in the hyper-growth mode, right, which is in, I'm trying to grow 100%. It's a general uh, benchmark yeah, for right. SaaS. Um, but it does hold true. I mean, you know, you continuously see some business plans where someone's saying um, doubling revenue, team size stays the same, marketing spend increases by 20%. Yeah. Um, but the reality, it's, it's actually the opposite. You know, especially in the early stages, you want double revenue, probably have to more than double marketing spend because you're not going to be highly efficient. You're not going to have a huge marketing team. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that's a benchmark that holds true regardless of what region you're in.
0: So to flip this, because I'm just trying to understand the mindset of someone selecting software for a company, other than what we do here. When Bayzada is selecting software, how do you go about it? What do you use for invoicing for different tools internally? Uh, Which department makes the decision? How do you go about it?
1: So for us, you know, each department involved or who would benefit from that software and use it is a central part of the decision-making process, and then um, typically, it may affect other departments. We just have to kind of check the box that yeah, we're okay with this decision. Um, and what we look for in any software is one has to be user friendly. Um, it has to be very easy to implement. So we don't like to see things you know that require a lot of customization, engineering time from our side. With the exception of one, which was Salesforce, right? Um, as we scaled the the sales and operations, we actually hired Salesforce engineers to just really improve that, uh, the platform for us and make it fit our needs. But aside from that, we really focus on the user experience. Interesting. If you're like me and you're always in a rush in the morning and
0: evening, but you really know you should spend more time on hygiene and grooming, then when the product comes along that just works and it's got everything, uh, you really find use of it. And I, I was like that for the last week when I've been testing out Manscape. they've got Trimmer, which is a lot more for, and loads of different gadgets, really, and different products such as deodorant. Uh, I suggest if you want to try it out, we've got a code; it's twenty percent off. They for you just use Dubai Works code on the Manscaped website. They asked me to spell Dubai Works. I think you'll manage that, uh, and let us know how you get on. Um, So you know, on software, for example you know, we do a lot of our, I'll just tell our example, we do a lot of our HR and admin uh, manually because we think it's part of our culture. So we have our lead calendar, that's a locked Excel sheet that the HR team do. Uh, We have approval process on email, we have uh, payroll goes in a certain way. um, And, uh, you know, so we, we just do things a bit manually because we think it's Sort of, we're only say thirty or forty people, and we think that that's part of the culture. Um, you no, know, we we use software for other mm. things, but when we do procurement on software, for example, you mentioned Zoho, uh, mm. books, right? So they would have come up as an option when we were replacing, uh, Sage, and we ended up with into QuickBooks. But, uh, uh the bigger question could have been, hey, uh, you can if you use Zoho books, you can also do your HR. Um, And a lot of, uh, you know, for example, a lot of people in the pandemic, and i ask about that, will have used e-signing software like DocuSign, yet Adobe, which many companies have licenses for, also have an e-sign. And uh, so, you know, one of the kind of big problems organizations have on software and procurement and different types of licenses over the years is that uh, they might necessarily get the most out of it. Um, So I guess a long-winded question Mm -hmm. there, but there's a lot of overlap in SaaS. um, And what's the kind of best structure and best-case scenario of a business? Should they have a SaaS person to manage and get the most out of software?
1: Yeah, look, I think especially for a company of your size, which is really in our ideal customer profile, right, is you can't afford to have 30, 40 different SaaS solutions. So there should definitely be sort of a control point or mechanism to say, we're not just gonna keep buying things because there's so many uh, niche software solutions you can buy that do a very specific function very well. Um, But the reality is your employees cannot, you know, efficiently use 10, 15 different softwares. And there's a lot of data out there showing, and you probably experienced it in in a job before where the company buys some sort of solution and engagement is very poor, usage is very poor. Um, And, you know, I guess the the, the real thing we we talk to customers about is the demographics have changed pretty drastically in the workforce, right? So um, 15 years ago, 25% of the workforce was millennials. Today it's 50%. Five years from now, it's going to be 75%. This is in the UAE, but also at a a global level. And when you survey them, they do have different expectations, right? So for them, um, you know, 67% of them don't believe their employer. Spends on technology to enhance the employee experience. Mm. Right. And it's a bit strange, right? Because you'll buy an accounting software because it's going to make the accounting team's life better and more efficient. Mm. Right. But then something that every single employee in the organization would be impacted by, you kind of lose sight of that. Mm. Right. And again, why part of it is because there hasn't been really good solutions that will engage employees. But the other part of it is companies have gone through this evolution where they started on uh, SaaS spend for sort of mission critical things like CRMs, right? Sales yeah. marketing always has the ticket to spend on solutions. Usually decision-making process is the VP of sales sometimes. Finance is not even involved. Mm-hmm. And then after sales and marketing, typically it'd be finance, operations, and uh, IT. Mm-hmm. And the HR gets the crumbs of the budget, right? So HR, typically within any organization, Only 6% of SaaS spend is on HR department. Mm. But that's doubled in two years, right? And it's doubling next year again. So as more of these amazing solutions come up, we're seeing companies actually starting to adopt them.
0: How did you benefit? What behavior types did you see on the platform other than great growth uh, with the pandemic? I assume that the solution that you have, which enables communication, and uh, would have been really well positioned for remote working, was that what you saw?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of, so so one is we started acquiring more customers. Um, Obviously April, May were difficult for everyone, but post that we started seeing some growth. And you know, a lot of the objections around, I don't need a cloud-based solution. You know, we have a computer in the office where everyone just goes to to update things, manual processing. Obviously those objections have disappeared completely. Um, but then also, when you looked at the usage on the platform, um, if you look at our user sessions chart, you know, from April two thousand and twenty till today, it's been growing twenty percent every single month. And you know, many different modules are being used. You know, for example, people wanted their employees to check in and check out right from the office uh, from from the uh, working day. So they're using our attendance mobile solution. Even though they're from home, they want to kind of give that structure to the employee Um, and we've continued to innovate right continuing to add things to help employees uh, have a better experience we have fitness challenges now that happen on the app Um, and the big change i would say from COVID is historically the employee experience has been based on the physical being in an office together interacting with people post pandemic the employee experience is really based off the digital Mm. and that means there has to be a change in how you treat your employees and engage with them
0: yeah The check-in, can you fake that? Like, you know, when people have fingerprints to go into the office or swipe cards, how do you regulate it?
1: Um, Yeah, so the check-in, I mean, different companies do different things. Some people just want it for tracking purposes. Some people ask, um, there's an option to add pictures, taking pictures while you check-in and check-out. But look, a lot of companies that were doing it from home, they just wanted to How do
0: you verify it? How do you know that they're...
1: So, so, you know, for a lot of the companies that shifted doing it from home, the point wasn't to verify it. Sure. The point was... We want you to have a start to your day and an end to your day, right? And these are all sort of mental models you start building up working from home that I wake up, I check in, and then you get a push notification, day's ending, check out, right? And it's kind of having more structure in that day versus I wake up, you know, don't shower, have my coffee on the computer. Next thing I know, the sun sets and I'm going to bed.
0: Interesting and sort of remote working and you know in different countries like I'm I'm sure that you use Bezat in your company how what works really well with UAE India and Turkey on different time zones are are I do people have a better idea of who's online who's available who and do you have different shift work that you manage on the platform?
1: So we so the way we do it is. The teams there, so in Turkey, they take their public holidays and they don't work Saturdays, Sundays. Mm. They work Fridays where we're not working, right? They start work two, three hours after we start in Dubai and that works very well because everyone has focus time, right? Mm -hmm. Some of the most productive days the engineers have in Turkey are actually Fridays, Mm. right? Because everyone else is offline. Um, So that's worked very well as long as there's six hours of overlap within a day which gives you flexibility to schedule internal meetings and collaborate, um, it's actually a benefit versus having everyone together for eight hours a day. You know, obviously we've all experienced meeting overload.
0: Yeah, but in terms of the software, uh, do you you mentioned earlier about the shift management software. I'm just trying to think uh, for companies who have freelancers and, you know, some of the other trends of remote working or freelance Equipment tools like mm. Upwork and Fiverr and things like that. Are you able to kind of manage everything via Bayzat for that type of?
1: Yeah, so we don't employee. we don't typically um, have solutions that are extremely beneficial for freelancers, right? Um, but where the shift of scheduling really helps is one is having cycles in the office from home. Right? because you don't want everyone in the office at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously, if you're in F&B, hospitality, you know, healthcare, education sector, those are all power users of shift scheduling solutions. And we're actually the only sort of localized SaaS player that's providing that, that solution.
0: Yeah, interesting. Okay, so just a few question related to your current size and employees in the UAE. Um, what role has sort of Dubai played in that? Are you happy to stay here? What free zone are you in? There's a lot of talk about, you know, some startups moving to Abu Dhabi, uh, people are being more present in Saudi. uh, How crucial a role has Dubai's uh, startup environment played for Beza?
1: Yeah, look, so we are in Dubai. We're also in Abu Dhabi, in Hub 71. um, And, you know, we're supporting that also hub as well. And then we expect to have a strong presence in Saudi, again, supporting and benefiting from sort of the local startup community. Um, you know, Dubai specifically um, has been a huge win for us being here just because there's a very wide region around Dubai where all, many of these people would love to come work here because of the infrastructure, the quality of life, and obviously for us the most important thing is the talent we're able to attract, yeah. right? And then within this region, of course, Dubai did take the lead in terms of, you know, startups reaching, reaching sort of the hyperscale and that creates an amazing talent pool as well to hire from. So it does still have an advantage and sort of a head start on some of the other hubs. Um, and in terms of the support, look, you know, Hub 71 has been very supportive. Dubai has been extremely supportive. Um, look, the, the reality is even back in 2013, we were still able to set up a company, pretty easily for pretty low cost because free zones is not a new thing in Dubai. Mm. And it's always been there to help it be more business friendly. And it's not unique to startups, you know, hundreds of thousands of companies are benefiting from it. And more recently, we've moved to DIFC um, to sort of the new innovation hub they've set up. And yeah, I mean, I never thought I'd be running a company, you know, that has an office in DIFC. Obviously, it's some of the best office space and infrastructure in the world. Yeah. Um, And it's really kind of, changed I would say the dynamics of the brand from both customers right though you're in DIFC now but also from from the team right yeah people love going to work there every day
0: where did you where were you before eh?
1: um so we continue to have an office in Motor City hmm. and you know now basically we have two offices one in Motor City one one in the IFC okay
0: so you do have lots of different bases and offices and uh, I think that's a kind of an example of a high growth startup and you need software like this no yeah. um so, so that's interesting we spoke about dubai and, and saudi what about the wider region with regards to adoption of a platform like Beza? you know um the levant region is obviously uh, the economies aren't great there at the moment the internet speeds the, the things like that aren't great but there's a lot of appetite for people to enter the workforce there's a lot of uh, enterprise there's a lot of uh, entrepreneurial spirit and, and are are you seeing are there any companies in uh, Palestine and Lebanon and Jordan using Hazad and then also a bigger question around the potential North Africa and Egypt.
1: So, I mean, we can see from our payroll data and obviously from you know serving uh, the health insurance needs of a lot of our customers. A lot of companies here in in, in Dubai operate in many different countries across the Middle East and North Africa, right? Um, So we do help them with sort of managing the payroll for different offices and things like that. Um, And as we look at entering new markets, you know, initially right now, the focus is on being in the largest markets in the region, Um, and that's, I think, for a SaaS company, especially um, but also for, for many companies, it's one of the challenges of operating in Middle East North Africa, right? Mm. It's not like going from UAE to Saudi to Kuwait to Egypt is an easy process, right? They're all very different markets, different regulations, different marketing approaches. Um, and for us, it's, you know… Different labor laws. As exactly, well. <laughs> exactly. So UAE, Saudi Arabia obviously are the two heavyweights in the region, mm. right? Um, in almost every industry you can think of and we want to make sure we win in these two markets. Um, um, at the same time we are experimenting in having you know smaller launches in some other markets and of course Egypt is very interesting to us as well. Yeah
0: so what what would a launch be so I, th- I didn't think of it like that if a company is based here and they have employees elsewhere you're almost technically your platform is working on the ground there but you're not necessarily um localizing it for that market you don't have people on the ground you don't have different pricing you don't have different sort of uh things like that or um i guess sort of a different way of asking this is some sas products like i, I alluded to earlier can work without having people on the ground because you build a product and it understands what the in, in your case what the holidays the national holidays are in cyprus are in Turkey or in uh, Syria or or wherever Uh, and then when people go in they automatically feel, oh this this knows Mm. me, right, because it's kind of thinking of me as a country. So do you really need to, okay in the big markets you need to be on ground, but do you really need to be on ground to get people, like you can target your marketing uh, to those countries, is that what you mean by entering the market?
1: yeah exactly. so there's kind of two ways so one is just marketing acquiring customers, but then two is building that differentiation within the product itself mm-hmm. right so um you know we in saudi have are, are working on integrations with government entities with financial service providers to really make it easy to do everything from work permits to payroll processing right that requires a lot of localization yeah. Um, but I think I can also offer you a platform that has yeah a better user experience than Zoho. But when it comes to payroll, it's serving the same function, which is you're just calculating the payroll, right? Mm-hmm. But then once you calculate the payroll, there's a host of other things you have to do to actually comply with labor laws like wage protection system, things like that. So we won't go that deep in some of these other small markets versus okay. just some marketing budget and then um, you know some customers, this will be enough for their needs.
0: Okay. Brilliant. So you we always ask the question of, do you think the Middle East emerging market will emerge? Uh, What's your view on that? And also to tie into, um, and you base that as a case of a company who's raised significant funding at at Series B level, what's the appetite amongst investors and the belief at the moment that, uh, you know, there is a sort of a new energy and a new wave of startups in the region and there is a lot of opportunity?
1: I think any investor, what they really care about, you know, aside from the founders and, and the strategy is how big is the addressable market? That's really the question for, for any how startup. How so, Exactly. So um, you need to have a big vision. Uh, doesn't mean from day one you have a perfect plan or a very detailed plan on going into every single market, um, but every entrepreneur needs to really think about the TAM and it does very quite a bit by industry, right? Some industries, maybe UAE, Saudi are more than big enough, right? Um, For other industries, maybe you need all of Middle East and Africa. What's your time? um, So look, uh, most of our revenue comes from insurance. And from that perspective, you know, UAE, um, Saudi for us are each over two billion dollar markets um, for in terms of our TAM, so they're quite large and financial services obviously is, is sort of you know a big contributor to GDP in, in these regions so um, for us you know that's exciting plus we're also always adding new revenue streams for the company um, and that's why we're comfortable saying you know I'm not gonna be in ten countries next year uh, we want to be in, in, in three four other markets that are as big as the UAE and we believe that's going to make us a pretty substantial company.
0: And when you're speaking to investors to that point are you saying hey back us because more people are going to enter the workforce there's going to be more indigenous homegrown companies in this region digital transformation is taking off is that some of the trends and the metrics that you have to sort of put on the table and for them to buy into?
1: Yeah, so, so the way, you know, we really talk to investors is, you know, kind of what I was talking about earlier, which is the landscape of being an employer has changed pretty drastically in the region, right? Um, so first, it's become more expensive to, become an, to be an employer. Think about the mandatory health insurance laws, which tend to be the second biggest cost after payroll. It's become more complicated. Historically, GCC didn't really have very stringent labor laws, reporting requirements, but all of that has changed pretty drastically now um, and what that means is you need a new kind of platform as an employer to be able to operate and thrive in this environment. Mm. So we really look at the SME ecosystem, um, UAE has a very strong SME ecosystem, Saudi Arabia's SME ecosystem is transforming very rapidly. Mm. Uh, uh, it's crazy how fast it's growing and again, okay. purposely driven by the government's vision
0: 2030. Mm. Okay, so all these positive. Um, so moving to the end of the interview uh Talal, what about future product innovations from beza uh, we we you know the H, the role the function of a hr department or occupational psychology or things like that is becoming more and more advanced there's uh, mental health is an openly discussed topic now uh, and in the region what what are the types of solutions that you're looking at that kind of can help the modern uh, HR mm-hmm. need.
1: So we did launch um, mental health support on the app probably six, seven months ago. Um, and again, you know every employee could get four free mental health consultations. Um, that was sort of our first foray into saying, okay, let's help HR because it's undermined. How I'd do we the consultations So we work, work with we work with third party partners, yeah. Um, and yeah, they'll provide the the consultations. Um, And then on top of that, we really looked at some other trends and spoke to our customers. And what we found is that actually uh, physical health as well is something that's on their mind. And actually the number one indicator of poor mental health is poor physical health, right? So then we launched fitness challenges and that's been extremely successful, right? Uh, We get 20% engagement from, from, from employees. Um, So we're continuing to to build on that and see how do we integrate rewards into these things. And really the goal is, you know, back to the mission of making world-class employee experience accessible to every company, is when we think about health, it's really if an employee is sick, how do we help them get better in an affordable way? And that's where a lot of the digital health solutions have been built. But then also is how do we help them live healthier lives as well? And that's really the focus on that part.
0: Okay, brilliant. And so. Um, Finally, are there any other product innovations that you're looking at? Are there any other sort of pivots? Are there any other things that that you would love to do in the future?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, look, we we do have a lot of other things uh, being built. We've really sort of done a good job with the processes part, right? So now we've said we've helped HR spend less time on admin work and now let's help them focus on more strategic work. So that's, you know, things like employee engagement, wellness. Um, Performance management is something that's on the radar because that's a very strategic part. So those those are the sorts of things we're building. And then, you know, today we serve sixty nine thousand employees in Mm. the UAE. Mm. How do we continue to delight them by you know helping them access services um, using the economies of scale we've built?
0: Mm. You must have a lot of data about the different types of um, companies they work for and. and the makeup of those employees as well, which is interesting. I did say last question, but I <laughs> have another question. Um, what's the future look like? You know, uh, I'm not going to ask how much money you're raising and when you're raising and is there an exit, but, you know, we've seen uh, different types of startups mature and evolve and succeed in different ways. And um, we haven't seen any really startup yet list properly on one of the regional Stock markets is that something that you ever consider? Is that, a, you know, and and if so, uh, what do you, what do you think it would take for that to happen? You know, on the tadewel in Egypt and the Dubai financial markets, or even in Abu Dhabi, uh, we had uh, Philip from uh, Philip Bahoshi from Magnadon last week, and we discussed this topic that people seem to think that they need to exit by, you know, now with a SPAC of this in the US or with a, an acquire, but. You know, as the region advances and the financial markets advance, is that a potential outcome for you guys, or have you thought about
1: it? Yeah, I mean, you know, from my investment banking days, I'm obviously familiar with sort of the markets and uh, probably something above my my pay grade here. But look, the reality is, um, they're quite. (laughs) You know, there's not a lot of uh, liquidity in the markets here. Okay. Um, and that's obviously a, a huge risk for any company trying to to list on there. So um, I think you know it'll be interesting to see how the government here handles that. I think I know it's on the radar already. Mm. Um, obviously, they'd love to have more listings here, um, but there's still quite a bit of work to do. And I think once they solve that, then uh, definitely why not see companies you know listing here um, versus listing on the NYSE or, or Nasdaq
0: yeah and you know your vision for the company is this something that you would like to be running for a long time
1: i don't lose sleep thinking about that uh because at the end of the day i'm just one of many voters on the cap table uh who would vote for an exit um i'm happy waking up every morning and yeah if, and if i'm, I'm doing if i'm doing this forever i'll i'll continue to be happy
0: okay well pleasure to talk to you this morning so i'm great to get know of you in base that and wish you continued success
1: thank you thank, thank you,
0: thank you. So that was really interesting. I think you have heard me ask questions from a company owner point of view and uh, I really did. I was trying to get my head around how and when we would use that type of software and how other companies approach a software. So I hope some of you uh, were in the same frame of mind when you're listening to HR software, can get the benefit of it. And I think Talal did a really good job of explaining the benefits of BayZot and I'm really tempted to check it out for Augustus Media. So uh, next week, we've got another interview, same time, same place, 11 a.m. This is on all uh, audio platforms, Apple, Angami, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Podio. Uh, Please subscribe if you've discovered this from anywhere else, please subscribe to the podcast. But also, please do download the Smashy uh, apps uh, on iOS and Android. It's a seven-day free trial. We appreciate any feedback and you can watch this on video and any of the 136 or so previous episodes. Okay, and a big thank you to Alibaba, who's the producer on video and sound and making the distribution work really well, is Shaheer Ankindi, who organized the guests and picks the best people for this podcast next week. He's got another one of those excellent guests, Adrian Shaw from Furniture Giants. Uh, So please uh, join us uh, for that episode.